wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. Today we've got a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Cindy O'Meara. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Joe. So happy to have you on here because you're like my favourite mentor. (laughs) (laughs) I think I first met you like about, oh, goodness, what, eight years ago or something. Would it be? Has it been that long, Joe? Yeah, I think it has. It's been a while anyway, maybe maybe a little bit less, but... um, I first started. Hey, hey Joe, you didn't say I was here, by the oh, way. Sorry. No one, oh, sorry. Oh, hey, Joe. I was about to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at this, am I? I'm just going to sit in the corner and keep no, no, my mouth you, shut. No, you, you've got to just push in because, you know, once you get yeah, two no. women together, they don't stop talking. <laughs> Hi, Cindy. Hey, Fouad. Fouad, meet Cindy. Cindy, meet Fouad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just going to say I, I first started um, down the whole health journey sort of path and one of the things that really helped me was Cindy's book, um, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, and that just really made sense to me and um, it was easy and doable. So thank you so much for that, Cindy. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been, I think it's been a really good basic book for many people who are yeah. starting on the journey because it gives you know, what have they done to our food and how can we get a better food um, but still kind of eat the same? So can how can we make breads or how can we um, get better salts or better sugars? Or And people don't realise how refined and how mm. degraded of nutrition our foods are. And I think changing habits, changing lives just goes through step by step, bit by bit, every single food that I could possibly think of and explain, uh, well, this is how you get a better one of those. Yeah, and it just made each step doable, which was so good for me when I was starting out. Mm. Um, Especially a mum that's yes. got kids, it's you need it doable. You can't like we're throwing everything out and we're starting again. Yeah, it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work. It lasts about two weeks yeah. generally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. usually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we've been talking about your documentary and we want to pick your brains on it today and get people um, excited about it, those people who haven't seen it yet. I know a lot of people have watched it. Do you know how many people have watched it so far? Well, I know in the first oh, well, in the first week 150,000 people wow. watched it online. That's yeah, amazing. So, and that was worldwide, 80% US. Um, oh. And then oh. since then, I don't even know how many DVDs we've sold, but uh, it's what it's become is it's become a bit of an educational tool for professionals. So professionals oh, who um, are trying to tell people, look, I don't want you eating wheat and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. So that's many professionals are loving it. I have this doctor in um, New York that gives it to every single patient and then gives them a six-week no-wheat program that wow. we designed to, to go on the back of it. So it's used as an educational tool. It's used as an awareness tool. Mm-hmm. People are waking up to this fact and and like I say at the end, you know, everyone says, oh, surely wheat's not our only problem. Well, no, it's not, yeah. but it's a story worth telling. That's right. And you've got to start somewhere when you, you know, like you say, you can't just chuck out everything at once, but you're working out things that can be improved bit by bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. and I know in changing habits, changing lives. 
Sorry, Fouad. Go. No, no, go ahead, please. Yeah. I was saying, I know in the book Changing Habits, Changing Lives, I, I do a whole discussion on wheat mm-hmm. and, you know, I wrote that book back in 1998 wow. and um, I do a whole discussion on it saying, hey, we eat way too much of it, it's refined, It's all this has been done to it. Look, think that there are other grains out there. You don't have to just eat wheat. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's look at how many times you eat wheat. It's breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon yeah. tea, dinner. It's in your vitamins and minerals. It's in your vaccines. It's in your um, medications. It's in your cosmetics. It's in mm. it's in doors. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> they make doors from wheat these days. Like I was watching a, a documentary and I thought, oh my gosh, there's wheat in doors. <laughs> yeah. So when you go it's, to it's, a hotel, you have to ask for like a gluten free door. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. A gluten-free room, please. <laughs> I dare you for what? I'll do it. <laughs> mm. Well, um, Fuad, do you want to talk about what you were talking to me earlier about? Oh, the- yeah, no, I was just talking to Joe before uh, the show started, and I was saying that you know we've seen so many different shows or the, like uh, documentaries, that, like say Food Inc, and they talk about the problems with modern agriculture and all these things that are happening in the world at a large scale. And we've seen people talk about like nutrition and health, uh, you know, going from like a, a, a junk food diet to a more whole foods diet or focusing more on vegetables and um, meats and things like that and taking out all the refined foods. But we've never had anyone specifically document what the problem with wheat is. And, um, you know, this has been the missing link for me because I think really wheat is where things start to unfold for people. Once people get wheat and equally refined sugars out of their diet, those two foods are like the biggest two poisons in my view in in a diet. And Mm -hmm. they're the two that people are most addicted to. And uh, we've never had a documentary that really went into detail as to why wheat is so bad for us now and why people should get away from it. And people are still stuck in all sorts of uh, wrong uh, ideas about you know, what wheat is and how they should be eating it and how much they should be eating. So I was uh, really waiting for a documentary like this to come. And, you know, who better than you to do it? So it was, I was just so happy when it came out. I was just really, really excited. I knew it was going to be of high quality and go really yeah. deep into the details that we all believed in. And, um, man, I just wanted to thank you so much. That was just like, a, an, it's, yeah. it's going to be a big catalyst for change in our world. It's going to help so many people. And um, that's all I just wanted to comment just on that before we dig into the questions like how you know really like how glad i am to see that you've done this and uh, i feel that the world uh, owes you one so thank yeah. you so much cindy. thank you cindy oh, thanks <laughs> thank you i really i really appreciate that because when uh i i was doing the whole research behind it and it, and it all actually started when I, at, in my late 40s, started to have a problem with wheat. Mm. And, and that was the, the I wait, uh, you know, that's what awakened me to, hang on, I should be able to eat wheat. Of all people, I've never had an antibiotic in my life. I've never had any medications. I've eaten real foods all my life. I make everything from scratch. I make my breads from scratch with organic wheat. Yeah. And, and my thought was, well, why am I having a problem with wheat? And I actually noticed that my son was having a problem with wheat. And um, and, and I, I just thought, what is wrong with wheat that we are now seeing this 
exponential amount of people with gluten sensitivities, wheat problems. And so it was that that sent me on this trajectory that just um, took me further than I ever thought that what they could possibly (laughs) destroy wheat with. Like it was was beyond – um, comprehension. And I remember um, interviewing Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who's in the film. Um, and I think my jaw was on the floor, oh. absolutely on the floor. And because I had no, I, I had a, a set amount of questions to ask everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was from the history of wheat, what did they know about the history of wheat, right, all the way to how do we stop eating wheat. So it was, um, I'd already decided on the story I'd already decided how it was going to go and then she just threw the biggest spanner (laughs) in the works and I had to uh, change you know I had to change exactly what I was putting in there because she put a factor in that I actually didn't realize so um (laughs) yeah and this is what happens or do we have to watch well (laughs) No, no, I would love to tell you what it is. So what I do throughout the film is I talk about the history of wheat. So how long have we been eating it? Well, it's a possibility we've been eating it for around 23,000 years. And when you have a look at the Australian Aboriginal, uh, they've probably been eating some sort of grain, whether it be a millet, uh, like a, a millet, a rice or an oat that was naturally in the Australian landscape. They've probably been eating it, they believe, for around 60,000 years, making cakes and breads. And um, they they were way ahead of the Northern Hemisphere when you, you have a look at it. So we've been eating grain for a long time, but wheat became something that was easy to make. It had that gluten factor. It was able to make breads. And so, you know, we we have eaten wheat for a long time. And, you know, the paleo community often say, well, we never adapted as far as our genetics went. Well, what we've learnt is that it's not our genetics that adapt the fastest. It's our microbiome. Mm. And so it's our microbiome that adapted to this grain. And then... Um, in the 1920s and 1930s, there was um, an indication that there were nutrient deficiencies and everybody ate bread. So they thought, well, let's add, you know, vitamins and minerals to bread so that, or, or to wheat flour so that you can't um, have a deficiency. So you don't have the pellagras and the berry berries and um, those types of deficiencies. So that was the beginning of the fortification of our flour. So they take the germ out, they take the bran out, and then they they fortify it. Mm. And they're not fortifying it with natural vitamins and natural minerals these days. They, they fortify it with synthetically made mm. vitamins and mined minerals. In actual fact, if um, you could get some breakfast cereal and crush it up and get a magnet and you'll pull the iron out of it. Mm. And the breakfast cereal is all part of that that whole thing that we eat wheat. And that was the next thing is that, we started to produce foods that were um, were basically um, foods that were shelf stable, and that was the beginning of breakfast cereals. And so then everybody started to eat breakfast cereals for their um, foods, as opposed to maybe bacon and eggs. And then the next step was the the vilification, um, not the vilification, but the you know fat was no longer good. Yeah. Um, sugars were better, so breakfast cereals then took on a life of their own. And then there was the hybridization of the wheat grain, which happened in the seventies and entered the Australian landscape in the eighties. And I remember speaking to a farmer. 
regarding this new wheat grain that came in. He was in a, a Victorian farmer and he said, when we had the old fashioned wheat and that was a wheat that was very tall and it was very, um, it, it was hard to harvest and there was about two weeds that they had to deal with. When this new wheat grain came in in the 80s, he said five new um uh, basically weeds entered the landscape and the only way that they could kill them was using chemicals that were given to them by the people who were giving them the wheat grain. Wow. So that was a really interesting thing that I don't put in the movie but I've spoken to farmers mm-hmm. about it. And then um, it, it just, you know, step by step you realise there was uh, this industry that could unlimitlessly or, you know, limitlessly basically it could just keep making more and more uh, wheat and so much so that last year 11 billion people could have been fed as a result of the amount of wheat that was grown. Mm. And then wheat became a commodity where it was in everything. It was a thickener, it was a razor, it was a a thing that made elastic, it made breads, it made cereals, Um, you could put it in our cosmetics, Uh, it could it, it was part of um, medications and vitamins and minerals. Even vitamin C is made from wheat um, mm. exclusively. Wow. So, Lord. yeah, vitamin C is exclusively made from wheat. It, it, what they Lord. do is they get a wheat grain and they break it down into glucose molecules and then the glucose molecules are genetically modified or, mm. um, in, or not genetically modified but they use genetically modified bacteria to ferment it in order to make ascorbic acid, which is not vitamin C, ascorbic acid. So, and then it's in our vaccines because it heightens the immune system and you want an adjunct to heighten the immune system. Uh, It's not in all vaccines, but it is in some. And so, you know, this was, this was how I was going and I knew of all this and then Stephanie Seneff just topped it off. (laughs) So, Modern agriculture started with arsenic and and lead was being sprayed um, in the cornfields and wheat fields of the Midwest because there was a locust plague around 1938-39 and they used lead and arsenic. Hmm. Uh, Then by 1945 they were using DDT um, and DDT has very similar symptoms to polio. So it's a neurological um, damage and it creates those symptoms like polio. So if you've had DDT poisoning, um, you will exhibit those types of symptoms. Mm. Then um, then the organochlorides came in and now what we have is the, the phosphates. And so um, glyphosate is the, is the darling, mm. uh, you could call it, of the agricultural industry and it's otherwise known as Roundup. And it can have many names. In Australia, there are 400 chemicals that have glyphosate in it. So I walk into Dr. Stephanie Seneff's office and she she, she starts talking about uh, glyphosate and the shikimate pathway and the um, the C the, the cytochrome CP450 or <laughs> it's like she was like speaking this other language and the chelation of minerals and and the downgrading of vitamin D being produced and 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 I'm like thinking she's just answered all the questions yeah she's just in right. one foul swoop she has just <laughs> showed how since 1998. 
And now this is only, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Mm. The use of Roundup or glyphosate has exponentially grown. It's it's used on our vineyards. There's not one vineyard in California where um, the Working Mothers Group took wine and tested it for glyphosate that didn't have glyphosate in the wine. Oh, There's wow. glyphosate, and I'm going to tell you what this glyphosate does when I tell you where it is. So it's it's used as a weed killer um, before they plant wheat. It's used um, as a weed killer for many of our plants. It's used between our our stone fruit trees. All you have to do is go onto the Monsanto website. How do I use glyphosate? What are the applications? And you will see where it is being used. It is used on our parks, on our sports grounds, on our golf fields. It's um, like I um, have a beautiful coming to become an organic farm in Mullaney and they're spraying glyphosate on the sides of the road you know it's like anyway but, um, but they're not making doors out of it yet are they because that would not, be like... well, well they're making sweet you know they're making sweet, oh there you sweet. go <laughs> oh man uh, yeah so then and so glyphosate is also used as a um, desiccant on food so desiccant means that three weeks before harvest they um, what they do is they put the glyphosate or the Roundup on it. It kills the plant, yeah. but it makes the, the plant spurt more of the grain. So they might do it on canola. In Australia, in wet areas, they'll use it on the wheat. In the US, they use it yeah. as a desiccant on all wheats. There's very few that aren't. Um, so it's a, a product that has gone from 62,000 million tons being sprayed uh, in 1998 to now 850,000 mil million tons being sprayed on oh. our earth. Wow. So let scary. me tell you, what, like, it's really scary and mm. we talk about this in the film. So what does glyphosate do? So glyphosate um, stops a pathway in plants and bacteria mm. and it's a pathway called the shikimate pathway. And the shikimate pathway enables the plant to convert fructose into a product called PEP, which then makes amino acids. And if the plant can't make the amino acids, the plant just dies or the bacteria just dies. So um, how does it affect humans? Well, number one, it destroys the ecology of the soil. Hmm. It, so it destroys the bacteria in the soil, which means... You need bacteria in order to bring nutrients into plants. So all of the all of our soils that are being sprayed with Roundup or glyphosate, they, there's no ecology in the soil, or the ecology in the soil is poor. Mm. Therefore, it can't pull up minerals um, from the soil. Therefore, our, our, any plant that has had glyphosate um, sprayed near it or around it will not be picking up those minerals so our our food is lacking in minerals including wheat mm -hmm. it can last soil up to 20 years and 20 years, 20 years yeah. up to 20 years some soils um up to 20 years um so how does it affect us as humans not so much as our food but as humans so we have a microbiome and everybody knows about the microbiome because everybody's talking about it mm -hmm. but it's a bunch of bacteria that live on our skin, in our gut, 
um, you know, it lives everywhere. And um, what happens is that when we're exposed to glyphosate, it stops, number one, the shikimate pathway. And therefore, we cannot make tyrosine and tryptophan mm. and phenylalanine, which are the precursors to our neurotransmitters yep. that allow us to think, allow us our nervous system to work. 90% of our neurotransmitters are made in the, bra in the gut. And if your bacteria are not working, then you cannot make neurotransmitters so that the body can function, the nervous system can function. So it not only does that. That affects sleep as sorry, well, doesn't it? it do, yes, because it makes melatonin, epinephrine, nor, norepinephrine, um, dopamine, serotonin. Yeah. Um, so it makes our sleep hormone melatonin and it makes our waking hormone dopamine and it makes um, our or neurotransmitters, which are hormones, um, communicators. Um, and then so what happens is that and then when we destroy the gut um, bacteria because they no longer can work to do that, they can no longer, we can't digest food and we start to have gut issues. Mm. And I want everybody to think right now, when did they first start hearing about people with severe gut issues? Mm. Only the last it, few years. It's, yeah, it's been probably in the last decade. Yeah. Um, and look, anybody can go and look at this graph. Just look up use of glyphosate uh, graph. Mm -hmm. Go on Google and just look it up and you will see the unbelievable growth. Uh, that it has. But what's really interesting is that uh, glyphosate is using is losing its power. And so plants and bacteria are adapting to figure out, well, we can, you know, we can still do something, we can, you know, we can change in order to um in in order to survive. And so the more glyphosate the spray, the more plants and bacteria are Resistant. Are becoming resistant mm. to this, which means there needs to become a new generation of herbicide. And that's, scary. I think, even scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that answers so, quite a lot of questions. I'm, I'm being very positive right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, I tell you, um, uh, like you should have seen me when, oh. I, like I know the cascade of events and I know that it's, everything is involved in this cascade of events. And at the very end of the film, I say, look, the story of wheat is a story of food. Yeah. And wheat isn't the only thing that we are becoming intolerant to and more and more people can't consume and more and more people have inflammatory responses, more and more people have autoimmune diseases that are related to gluten, mm. uh, more, you know, there's more with celiac disease. Um, so this isn't going to stop unless we as a, a, a civilization or as individuals, because I don't believe we can change anybody but ourselves. It's mm. up to us to make those changes. As we start to vote with our, po with you know, what's in our pocket, our money, exactly. and we stop buying. We, we get rid of Roundup. We somehow dispose of it properly. We, um, we start to think about the foods that we're consuming, how they're produced. Mm -hmm. We go to our local farmer's markets. We only buy 
foods that we know that this chemical has not been sprayed on or other chemicals. Mm. We start to, bu- to start to cook from scratch. You know, Joe, it's exactly what you are talking about, but it, mm. it just, I think what this does is it, it makes people go, hang on, I'm not putting up with this. Yeah, exactly. This is my future generations. I'm not, yeah. not going to deal with this anymore. I'm going to let the world know that this is what's happening and we need to stop this. Mm. And I think, you know, you um, and Fouad with your uh, podcast have the ability to really make sure that people are starting to go mm. no more we're not going to take this anymore we're going to talk to our councils you know i um i just won businesswoman of the year um, i'm in so excited for you congratulations i know so i know it's really cool um and and anyway the council is my sponsor and i'm oh. the ambassador for the council <laughs> oh my gosh am i going to have fun with the oh, Coast Council? Good on you. I, I, my plan is to say Here's the evidence. You need to stop using it. We need to find a better way. Yeah. We need to be leaders in the world. And actually, I found out another county in Canada that, as a as a county, has stopped the use of Roundup wow. as a whole county. So That's individuals awesome. can't use it. The county can't use it. The city councils can't use it. And yeah, so, so it's already been done. So the yeah. Sunshine Coast Council can do it. That's awesome. Cindy, a quick question. Um, with regards to like the use of glyphosate Roundup uh, on wheat as to, opposed to other plants. So let's say uh, we get wheat out of our diet and glyphosate isn't there that comes with the wheat. And people get uh, a lot of improvement from changing their diet like this. But uh, if they're not eating organic food and not using, say, organic skincare and things like that, then they're still being exposed to glyphosate. How come we see like such improvement in health once um, people stop eating the wheat? Like, what's What's with the wheat in particular on top of the glyphosate that sort of seems to be more agitating to people? All right. So um, gluten, is it should be digested into amino acids or gliadin is, is what the problem is. And so when you take something out that the body isn't able to digest and deal with, then you no longer got this crazy molecule that's got um, tissue transglutaminase, which is uh, the protective mechanism and, and tries to destroy gluten, the gluten, molecule, the gluten um, molecule, which is a, um, a string of amino acids, and if glyphosate's in the mix, then you don't have that complex molecule going into the system mm-hmm. and causing an immune response on the system. So when you take gliadin out or, or gluten or wheat, uh, then you actually remove a huge uh, immunity um, expression, basically. So, you know, like proteins, that, like meats and things like that um, and um, fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. We, we don't have that, that string of amino acids, which is called gliadin, which seems to set off an immune response. And, you know, has that immune the response been days, made worse by the use of glyphosate? Is that what's, what's yes. happening? Like, okay, so, so this is sort of, it's the nature of the chemicals itself that are naturally found in wheat 
uh, that have also been like maybe increased tenfold due to hybridization and modification. And on top of that, you add the glyphosate and it causes a disruption in, in the gut. And all of a sudden we're seeing that these chemicals that we ate in smaller quantities before and used to pose maybe little to no harm to us now are causing a lot more harm. Is this the, a way to sum it up? Yes, it is, plus the preparation of the wheat. So once upon plus a time, a wheat was a three, you know, a 10-day um, ferment in that you, first of all, you've got to get the um, sour, sourdough going and then you get the bread all mixed up and then it's a three-day ferment mm. that starts to break down that gluten and gliadin and the amino acids and the the phytates and all those other things that are in the wheat grains. So this all starts to um, completely break down it and then and we eat it on occasion. It was something that we ate occasionally. We didn't have it for breakfast, morning tea, lunch, mm. afternoon tea, dinner. We didn't have it in everything that exactly. was assumed or put on our skin. <sighs> so it's there's, um, it, you know, glyphosate is just part of it. Mm. And and then there's all those other things that you so beautifully summarise that um, also contribute to that. But as you note, as you will notice, it's more than just wheat that people are becoming intolerant to. Yes. So, you know, it's uh, there's so many things, and there's I think there's eight at the moment that um, Nutritech, um, I believe, and HealthScopes have indicated, and it's egg and wheat. Um, soya, corn, um, dairy. I'm trying to think what the other ones are. Um, peanuts. Mm. So you know they're they've they've realised that there are these certain foods that are just people just can't tolerate. And then I I know children who can't tolerate anything. That all mm. that they can tolerate is medical feed. Mm, me too. It's um, so sad. No. It is so sad. It is just quite often about, you know, well, how can I start them healing and how can I even begin if they can't even eat anything that's healing? It's so frustrating to the parents, so scary for the parents. It's very scary because if that gut's not working, mm-hmm. nothing's working. Your immune system doesn't work. You're, um, you, you may be constipated, have impacted feces, mast cell activation, isnophilia disorders, um, eczemas, mm-hmm. you know, anaphylaxis. So it just becomes this escalation yeah. of symptoms and all our, our medical people know what to do is is basically drug, 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 medicate, medicate, medicate. They don't know that the first thing we've got to do is heal the gut. But how do you heal the gut of a child Mm. that has got probably um, interstitial um, lining that is completely ripped open? You know, Mm. it's like our lining would be like, um, let's say, a very, very fine mesh Mm -hmm. and and theirs is like netting. Wow. And... Mm. Everything gets into their body. Their body sees it as the enemy. It starts to attack it, and then it starts to look for other things it can attack that looks like it, and that could be other parts of their body, such as the pancreas, which causes type one diabetes. Mm. It could be part of the thyroid, which causes any of the any of the thyroid disorders, such as Hashimoto's or um, Graves. Um, and then you know there's Addison's disease with the adrenal. So these are all autoimmune diseases that are created as a result of the intelligence of the immune system losing it completely. Yeah. 
And and I remember Dr. Terry Walls in the um, documentary, she basically says, do I think that wheat is the main um, instigator of, of all autoimmune diseases? She says, probably not. Mm. But she says the gut lining is probably the main instigator of uh, these autoimmune diseases instigating and gluten for many because we can't digest it and we eat too much of it and all the things that we've already talked about is a big issue when it comes to people with autoimmune diseases and non-celiac wheat sensitivity which we we haven't even talked about yet so yeah and I do want to ask you about that I've I asked on my Facebook pages if there was anyone with questions, and that was the first question. Um, you know, for those who don't have celiac disease, what's your thoughts on gluten exposure and 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 like that would be they, me. Yeah, like, and uh, me. I don't have celiac, and I'm Okay, so celiac disease is easily diagnosed. It's um, they test for tissue transglutaminase, and they test for um, gliadin and they may do a biopsy um, so they know how to to figure out whether you have celiac disease or not that's a no-brainer mm-hmm. the other one to test for is wheat allergy so we know how to test for wheat allergy it's a, an IgE mm-hmm. uh, reaction and it's a skin test so there's quite a few people that are working on the the, the fact that if you don't have celiac disease and you don't have a wheat allergy, but you know when you eat wheat you feel like crap, whether it be digestive issues or um, out in the other areas of the body such as joint pain, headache, (laughs) migraine, skin, you know, Mm. no matter what it is. Um, So since 2012 there's been this terminology and the terminology is called non-celiac gluten sensitivity or non-celiac wheat sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So the term was first addressed in 2012 because there was this knowledge that this was happening, but they didn't have biomarkers to say a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the medical fraternity just uh, and the dietitians and whoever else is out there that doesn't believe that this mm-hmm. exists all started to poo-poo it, saying there's yeah. no mm-hmm. such thing. If you don't have celiac and you don't have wheat allergy eat wheat there's nothing wrong with it um and you'll die of a nutritional deficiency <laughs> if you don't eat wheat yeah you know drama 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 uh so sorry i sounded sarcastic then but no, i do get a fine. little bit sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um last week that, that is actually what they said yeah that's, that's what they, they say yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they like, said there's yeah. nothing wrong with you yeah. and yeah. so if anyway you don't eat it then you're um you're going to cause troubles because you'll start to build up an intolerance to it don't they they say you need to keep eating it yeah or it's going to get worse yeah <laughs> well it actually does get worse if you take it out mm-hmm. because what happens is that the body has been dulling down yes, the responses the yeah, the symptoms so that you can live and survive mm. um, to right. a point and then it starts to give you aches and pains and all sorts of problems. Mm. So when you go off wheat and gluten and you go and eat it again six weeks later mm-hmm. and you have this exaggerated response, yeah. well, that's just the body actually telling you, hey, this isn't good for me. It's just telling you what you should have been hearing yes. six weeks before when you were eating it for breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner and, exactly. and so on and so on. 
I, I tell people it's sort of like having uh, like a, a partner that you've been with for like 10 years and then you break up with them. And then when you meet them like uh, a year later, you go, how did I even spend one day with them? That's a good point. Oh my God. That's perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So that's, that's why you get that exaggerated response. But let's yeah. talk about research that's just come out last week yes and it was out of a university out of new york mm. and it basically said that and i and i just i, I just about screamed when yeah, i heard the comment by the scientist saying well what we thought people were all making up perhaps we were wrong <laughs> and they weren't complaining about nothing and in actual fact there is such a thing as non-celiac wheat sensitivity or non-celiac gluten sensitivity and I I just went oh thank you so it's like all those millions of people out there that went off wet and felt unbelievably brilliant yes they were making it up yeah exactly. just absolutely making it up yeah <laughs> oh my goodness so um remember it takes 17 years for medical um mm. for the medical fraternity to to realise this. So don't expect your GP to know this. No. Don't expect your local dietitian to know it unless she's or he is really up with the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have had dinner with Dr. Alicia Fasano, who is the absolute brains behind non-celiac gluten sensitivity, mm-hmm. celiac disease and wheat allergy. He can tell you all about how gluten enters through the intestinal wall, what exactly happens, what cytokines are um, come to play, what tissue transglutaminase comes to play, Mm. zonulin, how it lets the passage go through. So if anybody is interested in understanding the science, all you have to do is look up Dr. Alessio Fasano, A-L-E-S-S-I-O, Fasano, F-A-S-A-N-O. Look his wheat research up. Uh, there's also a researcher in um, the UK and I can never say his name and I can never um, spell it, um, but he's on my documentary. He, um, it, well, his name's on my documentary. He's not actually not on it. Dr. David Perlmutter actually mentions his name, so just freeze frame it and listen to it again and write it down. He talks about migraines and wheat. He talks about um, skin problems and wheat. He talks, you know, so we actually know um, we actually have some indicators of the diagnosis with non-celiac gluten or non-celiac wheat sensitivity, either way we can call it. Mm. So they're looking at t- tissue transglutaminase and they notice that there are three tissue transglutaminase. One is related to uh, the gut, so you, you know that that's celiac disease. One is related to the skin and one is related to the nervous system. Mm. So the skin, they know if you have this tissue transglutaminase that gluten and wheat are affecting your skin. Uh, and it, and they know that if you have this other one, that it, it will affect the nervous system. And think about where your nervous system goes. Mm-hmm. Brain, mm-hmm. to your little finger, um, it, your, it's everywhere. And so I um, interviewed Dr. Alessio Fasano a couple of weeks ago and I said to him, I said, what area of the body is affected if somebody has non-celiac gluten sensitivity or non-celiac um, wheat sensitivity? And, and he just paused and he said, there is no part of the body that cannot be affected by it. Mm. 
So I then said to him, well, how, how does somebody have a migraine versus someone have a skin condition and, and somebody have a knee problem and somebody have, um, you know, this or that? I went through a whole bunch of things and he said, Cindy, when you figured that out, you'll get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just basically said, we don't know. Yeah. We just know that it happens. Yeah. And, 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 and so non-celiac um, gluten sensitivity is very different to then autoimmune diseases. But usually non-celiac gluten sensitivity may end up as an autoimmune disease, which, you know, yeah. I hadn't heard of an autoimmune disease back in the 80s. No, I, and now no, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Everyone's talking, oh, I have an autoimmune disease. Oh, I have an autoimmune disease. And mm. it's like it's the, it's the new thing that everybody mm. seems to be getting. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have lots of questions, but so uh, do you have anything you want to say first before I ask? Because I might, you know, like take um, too long. <laughs> no, it's, I, I'm always also fascinated by the idea of people having different responses to uh, to wheat, you know, and they say, oh, I've got knee pain or skin issues or mm -hmm. things like that. But what I've found personally is that when people go off wheat because of a certain complaint, they also experience a lot of benefit that covers things that they never even yes. thought that they'd be able to get rid of or were related to wheat. And sometimes so they, they don't even realize also, it was an issue until they've gone off That's right. And they go like, oh. Like one of the things that happened to me was my mental fog that actually was just completely lifted when I went off uh, grains and sugar. And I remember like it was just a few weeks after all this went out of my system and I just, I felt alive for the first time in my life. And I thought I just had no idea that I could be living like this, that even my brain could operate like this. It was just not even known to me at the time. Mm. It was as if like someone reinstalled my operating system or something <laughs> like that. It was just- Spoken like a software so designer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was so odd to me because, um, you know, you never know until you experience the benefit of the change itself. And um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that when you get get off wheat for one thing, expect many, many things to yeah. resolve as well. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And you know what? It's really interesting. There was a, a study that came out of um, is it Edith Cowan University out of Adelaide just recently. And it basically said, oh, paleo diet causes um diarrhea uh, yeah. <laughs> i can't remember exactly all the things it said and you know you know better on the paleo diet as opposed to you know the nutritional guidelines and it was a study on 39 women half did the paleo diet half did the other one for four weeks for four weeks <laughs> just and i'm like going, oh, are you serious what kind of research yeah. is that bs i was like I just went, that is the worst research I've ever heard because mm. now I've been off wheat for five years. Yeah, exactly. And what, what's interesting is the benefits I'm starting to realize after five years. Mm. So, yeah. you know, the initial benefits were no more lower back pain, no more hip pain where I thought I would have to have a uh, hip replacement, wow. no anxiety at three in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, no weight gain. I haven't gained an ounce of weight since the day I gave up wheat. I, I lost nine That's kilos awesome. in three weeks, yeah. just boom, gone forever. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of dietitians and, and, and people out there going, oh, as if weight gain is, you know, and, and they, I just like go, the proof's in the pudding, guys. Go and mm -hmm. talk to people. It's It's like, and I'm sorry I'm going to bring this up, but it's like the vaccination issue. You know, everyone says it's safe. Well, follow the vaxxed trail yeah. in the US. There is 
every day there are people coming up to the vaxxed bus and saying, this is what happened to my child after vaccines. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like these doctors, these um, dietitians, these these health professionals have their blinkers on and they're not listening to the mothers. They're not listening to the humans. All they want to do is do their little bit of research in their little laboratory and not and well, I it's very isolated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I understand this is anecdotal. I, I understand that. Yeah. But oh my gosh, how much anecdotal do you want? Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, well, it's sort of like living in a village, and uh, you know, for many years, everyone's been drinking from the stream, and all of a sudden, people are starting to get sick, and people are saying like. I got sick after drinking from that stream and everyone's saying that. And like, the, then there's this one guy going, I haven't seen the scientific evidence yet to prove that. And like <laughs> everyone's just getting poisoned, you know, just, yeah. you know, like for now, maybe let's stop this and just let's go check it out and, you know, see what's happening, <laughs> run a few experiments to see whether this is real or not. And people just don't think that way. They're just very much guarded in their viewpoint and they don't want to listen until the scientific evidence is there. But if they're not listening, then the science isn't going to be done at all even, yeah. which is really yeah. scary. So It is really scary. And and I'm seeing it on every level. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it not only in our food, but, you know, uh, I, like I listen, um, I, I go to wacky places to listen to things. <laughs> And are really, you know, even ultrasounds, you know, people are thinking it's routine. We do our ultrasounds mm. when we have our babies. But there's, there's research out of China, which is in Chinese, that um, an amazing man by the name of Jim West has decided to translate and, and showing the evidence against having routine ultrasounds. Yeah. So, we're not only seeing it, and, and the evidence is out there on routine mammograms and the evidence is out there on, on, on many of these things that we're doing routinely that are perhaps not um, giving us what we should be getting, and that is it's all about health. Like I was reading Body and Soul yesterday and um, it was a doctor talking about what you need to do at each age and it was that before 40, have your blood pressure done, after 40, have your mammogram done. Mm. After such and such a year, do this done. And it was all tests. Yeah. It wasn't, let's look at our lifestyle, start walking more, let's eat better, let's mm. look at um, eating clean foods. How about having a veggie garden? Get out, mm. you know. I, you I need to write that book next thing. Well, that's all, it's all <laughs> offshore. You know, people want to, like, they want to outsource everything that they have yeah. to do with their own health to someone else. And, uh, really, it comes down to your own responsibility. Like, I remember seeing so many doctors about my eczema, and I had systemic acne that went throughout all, all over my head, to mm. me, uh, my back, my chest, my legs. And I, and then later on, I developed eczema on top of that. And I was uh, scratching, and I had, like, inflammation throughout my whole body. And I would see these skin doctors. I spent thousands of dollars on skin specialists, and they all were giving me antibiotics and steroid creams to maintain it. And they just basically would not uh, talk to me about diet or they wouldn't give me any tip as to how I could be able to control my own health. It was all sort of trying to get external input and putting it on, you know, implementing external things to my my life rather than looking looking at the things that I can be doing to improve my own health. It was all from the outside. And that's, you know, they feel maybe responsible that... um, they should give you medication and tests and things like that because 
they have this idea that the wellness comes from outside of you because they seem to be able to intellectualize it somehow. But you know what? But that's not how it works. You have to really be in tune with your own body and take your, your own actions internally first. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, yeah. That, that's why like, I prefer naturopaths and um, mm. holistic health practitioners because they do talk about these things. Yeah. But you know what's really interesting is um, this is how we're brought up. From the day we're born, it's a little white pill that will make you feel better. Yes. It's an external force that will make you feel better. Mm. And it's like when, you know, the first probably medication that many children get if they're not given antibiotics in their first, you know, months of life is Bongello, mm. which is to yeah. take the pain away for, for the teeth. So all of a sudden you're going, here, take this, this will make you feel better. You know, and so you're imprinting into them that it's an external force, psychologically, physically, chemically, that will get you better. Mm. And so my belief is that at the age of 16, when a young woman or man is presented with a, a, a drug and they're not feeling so good, and I'm talking about an illicit drug, mm. and there's, there, somebody says to them, oh, this will make you feel better, and it, you know, it could be ice, it could be who knows where it could be, and they know that a little white pill will make them feel better. Mm. They don't realise that their inner strength and their inner ability and their innate intelligence has the ability, given the right resources, to have perfect health. And yeah, we it's just... also really hard like when people don't have the neurotransmitters to even actually uh, be yeah. quiet enough to listen to that intelligence. Like Their brains are so all over the place. They just yeah. don't have any kind of stillness to, to tune in. It's uh, it's a, it is a catch twenty two, and and the world just keeps pushing people outwardly. It's all about you know those things that happen out, like the external factors. Everything is all happiness is external to people, and the pursuit is all external, and that never gets internalized. But back to that pill or the small drug or whatever, like one of those things that you know people just blows my mind. They give you like a little pill, and the doctors will say this will make you feel better. Um, and uh, you ask about your food, which you eat two kilos a day of, and they've got like, no, no, that's not going to affect you, but like this tiny, <laughs> you know, one gram of something is going to affect you. And you're like, you know, I'm eating, you know, 2,000 times the, that volume in my day. You know, like, is it not going to exactly. affect you? <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's so true. You are full of wisdom. He is, isn't he? It's, it's, <laughs> he is. it's like this. It's like the, the there's... Um, there's this farmer's wife in Alberta, Canada, that had a real go at me about mm -hmm. um, glyphosate and Roundup. And she said, we only spray uh, a can of, gl of glyphosate per acre. Yeah. And I went, I went back to her and I said, well, we only need 150 micrograms of iodine. <laughs> to a yeah. so yeah. don't give me that bs you yeah. know that's yeah. I hate hearing that because yeah. i like go well then how many micrograms of that is that that you're spraying mm. on a grain of wheat that could potentially be enough to affect my health or my children's health or future generations health so when i hear that oh it's just a little bit I like go, well, how much iodine do you need to survive? Yeah. <laughs> Not well, a lot. It's doing its job. That's the thing. Like she's got kill stuff. Like it kills stuff at such small concentrations. It's killing stuff, you know. So you're you're saying it's active even at that small concentration. So why wouldn't you see that that would still affect our health, you know? That's mm. the the big thing.
Well, because Monsanto actually um, marketed it as something that only kills bacteria and plants. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't affect human cells because we don't have the shikimate pathway in our human cells. But remembering that we are 10% human cells and 90% microorganisms. Exactly. So that little argument isn't working anymore for no. them. And they know it. They know it. And they have a new generation of herbicide coming out. Okay. And if anybody's silly enough or stupid enough to use it, um, then gosh look. knows what's going to happen to the health mm. of the human beings. Um, and that's why I am I have my 60 acres is that I want to produce safe foods for my mm. family. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I'm planting over a thousand trees this spring and awesome. I just want 60 acres sounds like you can, you can fit an extra four people in there but yeah. it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, <also> I-, <laughs> <laughs> I know Actually, I know like my- I'm thinking okay I got my kids. I got my kids' kids. You know, <laughs> the Cindy well, I'm, I'm packing. I'm coming straight up. Well, so. my yeah. um, my daughter is so wanting to have her own farm, and so I'm like, right, so I've got to get this book out so I can buy a farm for my daughter, so she can do the same thing. <laughs> and you know what? We can do it in our own backyard. Yeah, of course, we can. We can produce like I was in Melbourne um just over the last couple of days and I went for a walk I was in Richmond and I went for a walk every morning because I couldn't swim they've got got no ocean there to swim in um, in Richmond they did have the Yarra I must admit but I looked at it no No, I don't think so 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 anyway I I went for walks and I and everything's terrace houses so everything's packed in Mm -hmm. and there were homes on the front you know, in the very small of the front area that had a little bit of garden packed with vegetables, yeah, packed with herbs. It's like Jubilee Rose with a Garden. Lemon tree. Yeah. yeah. Tip the rose garden out. Let's go for yeah. a food garden. Love it. Um, yeah. yeah. I've never understood that. Like, I come from a country where it's all fruit trees. Like, it's yeah. all fruit trees. It, like, you can't see anything else almost. From olives to citrus to loquats and grapes growing on trellises in front of houses. Like, there was just food everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there was food. And then I came to Australia and I was like, where's the food? It's just really pretty, but I can't eat any of this stuff. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. And that's <laughs> another such thing. A light, I such a large country. Well, it's so stupid that we're not planting food trees within our towns. Like citrus is a, it's it's like I see citrus everywhere at the moment. We should not be paying for the citrus. We should be able to just go and pick it. Herbs, Mm. like herbs are weeds. Um, We should be planting marjoram and rosemary and these beautiful herbs that are medicinal and should be in our culinary um, repertoire. Every mm. time we cook, every time we make a salad, I go out to my garden and I pick the parsley, the majoram, the thyme, the um, sage, and I just sprinkle it in my salad because that's like going into nature and getting nature's vitamin and mineral capsule. Mm. And there's been no glyphosate <laughs> sprayed in my place for 20 years, so I know I'm fine. <laughs> there's no wheat in your vitamin and minerals. <laughs> no. No, and you know, like, I, yeah, yeah, we better. I just love um, Pete Evans in the in the documentary. He's he's just he's just a gem, and I love when he says, "I can guarantee if you go off wheat, you will not die of a deficiency." <laughs> and I just I just go, yeah. Practically, we all understand that. Common sense, we all understand that. Then why are all the scientists saying that 
yeah. we will die of a deficiency if we don't eat, you know, a grain. Because maybe their, their assumption is that you will take the wheat out, but you still eat the same old junk, you know, and then yeah, uh, the fortification point. that's in the wheat is, uh, you know, all the iron and the rubbish that they put in there not to fortify it will uh, not be in the diet and you might die because they don't think you know better of human oh, beings they think that our nature is to, to just eat rubbish continually and that uh, we're just consuming you know packaged foods all the time like everyone else and that's it's just a very sad view because it uh, has no respect for for our uh, ability as human beings to change and to um make better choices if they're if they're made clear to us mm. just, and you know uh, what i think the people that are uh cluey and are listening to this podcast and listen to um, The Wellness Couch, these are people who want information, want change, have common sense, yeah. do their research and are not biased by um, the Edith Cowan research. And, mm. and, and what got me about the Edith Cowan research was it talked about, you know, our microbiome needs the, the starches and the fiber and the resistant starches in order to survive. And I, and I, I went back and, and said, well, there is a group of people in Tanzania called the Hudsas <laughs> and the Hudsas eat no grain whatsoever. They eat very fibrous vegetables and meat uh, and a bit of berries and fruit and honey. They love their honey. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their microbiome has... Um, a variety that if we have 1500 they have 5000 in their variety mm-hmm. so you know that's that's one of the things they're all talking about is that you you can't get enough fiber well geez every time i lay a salad down exactly uh, i I've, I've got a, a lot of fiber and i lay a mm-hmm. salad down at breakfast i lay a salad down at lunch and i lay a salad down at dinner mm-hmm. it's it's not hard to get that so if, for the people out there that are not perhaps awakening, not thinking, um, then you're probably right, Fuad, is that they will go off wheat and then go to the gluten-free packaged food, which we address in the documentary Mm. and how they're made and what's in them and that they actually do have gluten in them, especially in the US where um, the US at the moment um, is allowed 20 parts per million of gluten. Yeah, that's 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 what they're allowed is twenty parts per per million, and for some people they can't even tolerate a microgram of gluten without mm-hmm. setting off an inflammatory response. And Terry Walls talks about it. Sally, uh, Sarah Ballantyne talks about it in the film as to how they're affected because they both have mm-hmm. have had autoimmune diseases and and have both been very sick. Yeah. And by going off wheat, they say you know even. Um, Terry talks about putting makeup on her that's got wheat in it. Mm. She will have an effect as a result of it. Yeah, yeah. I've had effects on different mascaras that I've heard have had wheat in them. Yeah, same. Cindy, just a quick question, like uh, a topic that's really dear uh, to my heart. Oh, sorry. No, okay. uh, it's just uh, this, this one's better. Okay. Uh, actually, it's. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I, I really sort of um, I'm trying to get better at and trying to uh, be more educated on and make better decisions is uh, the water that I drink. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because we are like 70 percent or so water and uh, we focus so much on the 30 percent organic matter that we are. But the water, we don't really 
focus as much on. And um, the quality of the water has been really important to me. And at home, because I live like in a, you know, in the Hills District and I get like, you know, council water and I, I'm using like a reverse osmosis filter to, you know, make the water as clean as possible. But um, uh, with and it never occurred to me that maybe, for instance, that water might be tainted with glyphosate as well. Do you know much about that at all? Or like, and even if you don't, what kind of choices do you make when it comes to your drinking water? Uh, yes, you're right. It does. Um, a lot of our municipal water is tainted with herbicides, pesticides, fungicides. Um, you know, it is there because it's runoff. It just, if it's sprayed on the land, it's going to end up in our water supply. So um, I have a big mother. <laughs> <laughs> of a filter system right. under my sink that takes up my whole sink. I've actually um, dug a bore uh, on my farm so that I can get, um, yeah. you know, groundwater. Whether I'm going to have that tested actually um, to make sure that um, it's safe, but I have that. So uh, I, I'm, I won't, um, I won't drink anything in plastic. Mm-hmm. So I won't drink plastic water. Um, I will always go for glass and I go, it's my one time when I am traveling, I go into Coles and Woolies and I get Voss or I get um, one of those waters that I know is in glass and um, is is, is a good quality water. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you entirely, Fouad. I think that um, that water, our water is just, just so badly um well number one it's got chlorine in it the chlorine destroys your bacteria so the minute um you drink water you're starting to destroy your chlorine your your bacteria because that's what it's all about mm-hmm. um yes. number one number two uh it'll have fluoride in it and fluoride um like it's a poison and <laughs> Everybody talks about the seeds, but I'm, like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I disagree entirely with yeah. everything they're saying. And I've listened to some amazing minds about what fluoride is in the water about, and we don't need to go into that. That's another topic, <laughs> another hour. We'll get you back. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you, you should get this guy back that talks about okay. fluoride in the water and what it does. He's, oh, my gosh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, and, then, and then we have uh, – probably heavy metals mm. um they put lime in it i don't know if you've ever been to a waterworks place in your council but nope. it's got danger do not come in here without being completely covered because not only is there fluoride and chloride in there but they also add lye to the water to balance the acid and alkaline mm. so and mm. people don't even realize that mm. that they're adding that to the water and then what pipes is it going through um is it plastic is it and and so as best I can, I try and filter out as much as I possibly can um, from my water so that my family's safe. Um, but then, you know, I often say to my husband, let's get one at the, the beginning of the house so we're not showering in chlorine. Yeah, that's what we <laughs> yeah. We've got the whole house filtered. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. But when we started GAPS, that. that was one big thing. I thought I've got to get the water sorted out, so... Yeah, can I? Ask well, that's it? the thing. Like, it's, it's not junk. It is junk water. That's the mm. way I think of it. Like, yeah. you know, we think of junk food, junk water. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Can I ask really couple a quick couple of questions that people have sent in? Do you mind? Yes, I'll, I'll stay quiet. Okay, you be quiet. For <laughs> <a while. laughs> 
Um, okay, so a couple of people want to know your thoughts on sourdough. Okay, so if the, people can tolerate wheat, if they can, and they have no ramifications to it, um, uh, if I was going to make a sourdough, I would be making it with an old-fashioned wheat. Yeah. And those old-fashioned wheats are our emma wheats and our einkorn. And there's a gentleman down in Dalesford that um, is growing uh, ein, uh, emma wheat, which is about 17,000 years old. Wow. He grows it um, down in Dalesford and I buy from him. We grind it every three months. Um, we don't grind heaps and keep it for a year. We grind as we need it. Um, and people can buy Emma wheat from me at Changing Habits. Mm -hmm. So start your sourdough with this, with the Emma wheat. And if you have a beautiful old sourdough, then just start adding the Emma wheat to it and, and eventually get rid of the, mm -hmm. the modern wheat, which is Triticum estivum. So the organic though, of course. I, I, look, I think so. Like, I'm sure they can. I'm sure people who are growing einkorn and emma wheat are not the oh, usual sorry. wheat farmers. Yeah. And then, <laughs> although, although there is a guy that I found in, uh, I won't say where he is because he's in Australia, and I don't, I don't think it's fair for me to to do this. But I groomed him for 12 months, wanting his his einkorn, um, and then I, when we were getting to harvest, I said, right, can I please have some? I want to do some sampling. I want to make sure that there's no chemicals in it. And he said, oh, you won't find any Roundup in that. And I went, why did you say Roundup? He said, oh, because we use Roundup before we plant. Mm. And I just so went. spray the soil. You're, you're spraying the soil with Roundup before you plant these ancient wheats? And he said, yeah. I went, and it was like a year of grooming oh. to get two, two ton from him. I, 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 and then I ended up going to England to find a farm. My husband went to the farm to make sure they were doing it properly. And so we ended up going to England. And then when I found this gentleman in Australia, which I would rather have, use as mm. Australian food, um, we started to, yeah, he's just the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful farm. What's the flavour so, like? Is it tasty? It's, it's almost nutty. It. It's almost mm. nutty. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it makes a beautiful bread, and I would definitely do sourdoughs there. Okay, I, I know good. that was a long-winded yeah, answer, that's but good. that's what they wanted to know. You yeah. covered about three people's questions there. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Someone else asked your stance on um, dairy, but you pretty much answered that earlier about it. Being, well, I mean, go ahead if you've got anything else. It's just that they were saying, you know, a lot of times if you can't handle wheat, you can't handle dairy, and yeah, but, yeah. There's a thing called. Um, uh, like it's like a molecular mimicry where mm. um, it, sometimes the body views a protein as gluten or gliadin mm. and dairy is often part of that and believe it or not quinoa, chocolate, coffee mm. and a couple of things but not everybody has that cross-reactivity problems. Okay. So if I was to eat dairy, if I was to eat dairy, I would be eating dairy the old-fashioned way because mm. remember we have cultures that live on dairy such as the um, the Cusers in Premier, the um, Himbers in uh, Namibia. Mm -hmm. they, you know, these are people that rely on dairy, but what they do is they ferment it. Yes. And I think that if I was going to have dairy and you can't buy it because you'll be fined $60,000, I'd be <laughs> having it raw, fermented, um, organic, mm. uh, and my own house cow. Yeah. basically, yeah. my own house goat or my own house sheep or my own, uh, like, 
I will have dairy on occasion um, and sometimes it seems to affect me and other times it doesn't. So everybody has to figure that out for themselves. But if I do eat dairy, it's it's almost that criteria where I know yeah, um, who's producing it. Yeah. Yeah, where it's coming from, but there's no way I'm drinking that milk that they put mm. in those refrigerators at the supermarket no. or those cheese. No way. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was another one asking um, about your HCG protocol. Is that something that you would recommend for people? Um, some people that, that contact me, they're trying to work out what they should do for their house. So they're, they're looking at GAPS, they're looking at HCG, they're trying to figure out what's best. Have you got any advice on that kind of thing if they're looking at gaps i wouldn't be doing um, my four-phase fat elimination protocol mm -hmm. and the reason why that means they've got real gut issues yeah um and what happens is that you eliminate all of these foods in four-phase fat elimination you basically live with meat vegetables and and a few fruits that's mm -hmm. it there's no nuts no seeds no grains no dairy no nothing mm -hmm. um there's no fat and what happens is it will um, really show you what is happening in your body. Mm -hmm. And if you have gut issues, it will accentuate them okay. where um, you want to fix yourself first before you even attempt the four-phase fat elimination right. protocol. Okay. So if, if people are really interested in knowing doing this at the four-phase fat elimination, I have two nutritionists at Changing Habits via Skype Mm -hmm. You can do a $47 consultation with them mm -hmm. where they will say to you, no, you should not be doing the four phase. It's perfect for you, whichever way. Yeah. And that $47 then, yeah, it then goes on to, to, to pay for the program. So it doesn't actually cost you anything. You just mm -hmm. have a, a 20, I think it's 15 minute consult, but you mm -hmm. send in a whole bunch of information before they even start talking to you. Yeah. And then they will advise we think you should go on the six-week, no-week first, the 21-step um, reset, the four-phase fat elimination protocol, the hunter-gatherer or GAPS yeah. because we're certified GAPS practitioners. That's awesome. So they are, um, yeah, they are the five steps that they will give you or they may say, look, we think you need um, help and we think you need to come and see us. But most people, you know, the programs work well for mm. because most people who are in this and thinking about this are pretty cluey and and pretty motivated inspired themselves to make changes mm. and so they're not like somebody who's uh just beginning out in this yeah. and have no idea that you know people who are listening to you already have that um mm have that knowledge and so usually we can put them in the program um the four-phase fat elimination program which is hcg and we've got a beautiful coach mel mm -hmm. who um you know she coaches people through it when they're at their i can't do this anymore yeah. it's too hard you yeah. have that you really do that's yeah. what i find yeah I, I just want to also mention something that i couldn't fit the word in before but uh, <laughs> when you were talking about how long it actually takes to get the wheat out of your system and you start to see these changes and even up to five years you're seeing changes i just want to say um i get a lot of questions in my gut health program from people they will see immediate changes, but there's things that they're still working on like weight or like um, sleep issues or things that take a long time to work through. 
And it's really good to hear you say, you know, it's, it's encouraging for people to realise that this is a long-term project. This isn't something that's just going to happen overnight and you've just got to keep plugging away and things will improve. I know looking back a year ago, photos of me, um, I was still very drawn looking, dark circles under my eyes, very thin in the past. Like I've been doing gaps, gaps-ish for two and a half years almost now. And um, the difference just in the last year or even the last six months has been amazing. Mm. So, you know, it's it's not something that you just, oh, I'll do it for six weeks and then I'll be all better. Um, no. And everybody wants a, fi- a quick yeah, fix. Yeah, of course we do. And, and, the, and weight, the weight thing is another example. I think the weight, when you're doing gaps, mm-hmm. um, you can put on weight for up to, six to eight months um, or keep weight on and um, because that's just the nature of it. But then once you've healed, it just seems to just, well, you stop being inflamed. You stop looking like you're, you're full of puff. And, and I've, I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen it with my own daughter. You know, Mm. she was so upset when she was on, um, we did a, a, a bit of a different version of GAPS, mm-hmm. but when she was on that um, and she's been on that for 10 months okay. um, due to um, something medicine did. Oh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's another long story. Yeah. Oh, that's another long story. <laughs> and I watched her for the first six months just look like a big fat balloon oh, yeah. um, because it was water weight. And you could tell it was water weight because one day she'd wake up and I'd go, honey, I can see your collarbones, I can see all that. And then the next day she'd wake up and she'd be like, boof, oh. all up again. Yeah. And and up to, I reckon, six to seven kilos of water she wow. was holding because wow. well, her body was protecting her. Mm. It was it was, it was, was doing what it was meant to do. Mm. And now I look at her, oh, my gosh, it's like a nude girl. Oh, Just, um, so but it took it, Oh, it is. It That's took so ten nice. months to heal her, really where she could eat food. Yeah, well, where she could eat food again. Well, you know how thin I was and never able to gain weight. It took a good year before I started gaining weight on gaps, and then I gained seven kilos in one year. <laughs> so yeah, you see, and, and it's either way. It can yeah, be either that's way. Right. It takes you time. Know, it takes time. When people come up to me and say, I don't have a problem with gaining weight, I have a problem with keeping weight on. But mm. To me, it's the same fix. It is. You it have is. to do the same process. You exactly. have to do the same things Yeah. yeah. Oh, in order to do helpful. that. And and as far as um, I find people say this to me, oh, I'm 95% gluten-free. There is no <laughs> such thing. Yes. When, when right. you take, when you have, when you have a weight issue and you cannot eat wheat then you should never eat wheat not even cheating yeah um and too many people cheat thinking they're getting away with it Mm. but it can create an inflammatory response in the body that can last between three and four months so you're almost starting again so is it worth it is it worth it some people it's maybe three days some people it's 10 months wow and i i like go why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Why would you do all of that hard work mm. and then go and do something silly like that knowingly, like sometimes we do it unknowingly, but yeah. knowingly put a piece of bread in your mouth because because it's there. Yeah. I, I did it unknowingly actually just recently. <laughs> I, I was watching that, that show. Not so wise after all, hey? Uh, uh, no, no, but <laughs> this is like to me it's just – 
because, because this is how my thinking went. It was just um, I watched um, that Michael Pollan show cooked on television. They were talking about like all it's a be- beautiful show, and he, they were talking about bread and uh, wheat and what happened to wheat. And I thought, you know what, like I'm I'm gonna try to make like a really long ferment oat sourdough okay. just i'm gonna try to ferment it for like a week and see what happens and uh i i treated that oat with so much love like every day i was feeding it you know <laughs> kneading it making sure the whole thing's really well looked after and then i, I baked it and it, well it didn't taste that good to be honest but and it was quite sour and i <laughs> ate that and, and i got like this digestive upset and then later yeah. on that night i got these uh this rash that uh, went all over my legs and um basically it's been months now and the rash still hasn't gone away it's just still there and i'm still dealing with it so this is you know best intentions organic grain long ferment Mm -hmm. all that stuff filtered water you know the best that you can put put in bread and it still just did not work so I've, i've learned my lesson Good. Well, that's good. a good lesson for people with the sourdough question too. We, we better let you go, Cindy. You're a busy lady and we've taken up lots of your time. But thank you so, so, so much. That was really interesting. Um, and I'll put the link to the um, What's With Wheat documentary. I'll put the link on the page for anyone who hasn't seen it. You really need to see it. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to say, Fuad? Well, I shouldn't ask him that because um, he doesn't stop talking. That's why I had to get in early because once he starts, I can't shut him up. Don't say if you like having me around or not, Joe. I love having you <laughs> around. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And and you you've got good ways of looking at things, Fawad. I really does. I'm going to re-listen to some of the ways you said things. I thought yeah. they were absolutely brilliant in in <laughs> simplifying the concept. You know, simplifying the concept is probably yeah. the most important thing and putting it in other people's speak. Yes. So you did a brilliant job at that. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. And we, we love uh, the documentary. It's amazing. Yeah, if you guys haven't great. watched it, please go watch it. It's called What's With Wheat. Cindy, how do they find it? Uh, they can go to whatswithwheat.com. And you can play it straight away. Um, you can get it on your computer and play it straight away. And it, but if you like the old-fashioned way, you can purchase a DVD um, from our shop at Changing Habits or on What's With Wheat, either way. Awesome. And for those of you who haven't booked a ticket to the Wellness Summit, you need to do that and then you'll see all of us there. Mm. <laughs> Yay! Okay, <laughs> so I'll put the details all in the notes on the podcast with all the links so you can um, just – Click on those and and um, you'll find all the information there. Thank you again, Cindy. We really look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.